so glad you're here. Beautiful, you may be seated. I am super psyched today. We're beginning a brand new series. A brand new series. I want to welcome our online audience from all over the world. We love you. We bless you. The series is called Terrific Tension. Somebody say Terrific Tension. Terrific Tension. Terrific tension. So I'm going to show you throughout Scripture from the New Testament moments where Jesus had a terrific tension moment. Terrific tension is not Jesus against the devil, Jesus against the Pharisees. It was Jesus having a terrific tension moment with the people he loved. Sometimes you have to have these moments of terrific tension with the people you love. Uh, they may be uncomfortable, but the outcome will always be redemptive. Now, has anyone here ever had a tense moment with someone they love? Stop it. Those of you that have not raised your hands, y'all need to be born again. <laughs> again. Terrific tension. The, the, today's title is The Tension of Change. The subtitle is, he's not just the God of the process, he is the process. I'm going to speak to you about changing water into wine. So we brought some wine bottles here, but we brought water. True story, this, I'm not making this up. This morning in the first message for the 9 o'clock service, Every Sunday morning, I'm giving you a little bit of secret sauce. My team has for me, like, green tea, pomegranate juice, all the healthy stuff. So I drank the pomegranate juice, but it tasted weird. Real weird. And right next to the pomegranate juice, there were these culprits. And I'm thinking, did Pastor Armando spike my pomegranate juice? Well, 15 minutes into the sermon, we found out. Anyway, back to the point. You're going to have to check out the video. It was a happy sermon this morning. Back to the point. John chapter 2. John chapter 2. The next day, there was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there. And Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. The wine supply ran out during the festivities. Some of you all know what that looks like. And Jesus' mother told them they have no more wine. This is the response of Jesus, of Jesus to his mom, which I would never get away with with my mom. If I ever would repeat these words to my mom growing up, I wouldn't be here to testify. <laughs> this is the way Jesus replied to his mama. Woman! I could just see myself calling my mom woman. <laughs> oh... That my mom would have said, I'm going to miss my son. <laughs> Dear woman, he said, that's not our problem. Jesus replied, my time has not yet come. Underline that part. But his mother told the servants, do whatever he tells you. You, you missed it. I'm going to do it one more time. You, you, you missed it. Hey, Jesus, they ran out of wine. My time hasn't come yet. I'm not doing anything. Mom says, whatever. Hey, guys, get ready. He's about to do something. He just said, I'm not doing anything. Jesus, I mean, and the mother says, okay, hey, servants, get ready. He's about to do something. Oh, wow. Jesus told us, then standing nearby, 
were six water jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing, washing of the feet and hands. Each could hold 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. When the jars, Jesus did what he said he wasn't going to do. He just did, he just told mom, I'm not doing anything. Mom said, hey guys, get ready, he's about to do something. The next verse, Jesus did something. Then he said, dip some out, take it to the master of ceremonies. The servants followed the instructions. When the master of ceremonies tasted the water, that was now wine. He did something. Not knowing where it had come from, though of course the servants knew, he called the bridegroom over. A host always serves the best wine first. He said, then when everyone has a lot to drink, he brings out the least expensive wine. But you have kept the best until now. He keeps the best for last. This miraculous sign in Canaan and Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory. The first time Jesus revealed his glory. The first miracle was right here. It was forced. It wasn't like in the agenda. Jesus, watch this. The first point I want you to write down is the following. The God that never changes has the power to change everything. Let me repeat that. The God that never changes has the power to change everything. This is a story of God changing water into wine. We must begin discussing change. Some people are good with change. Some people are terrible with change. So let me ask, I don't want to be presumptuous. If you're the kind of person that loves change, you invite change, you want change, you provoke change, you live for change, raise your hand. Now, if you're the kind of person that if they move something in your car, in your home, in your dining room, in your living room, you freak out. And not to mention the big changes when you have to move from one place to another. When you go from one relationship to another. When you go from Starbucks to Pete's Coffee, it traumatizes you. If you're the kind of person that has a terrible time with change, raise both hands. There it is. David Bowie, the, the iconic rock star back in the last century, had a song called Ch -ch -ch Changes. Change happens. And we live in a world of constant change. Everything literally seems to be changing. We, we, coming out of this COVID, this COVID pandemic, we are in the midst of unbridled, unparalleled, unprecedented change. But permit me to share with you a powerful constant in a world full of variables. God never changes. God never changes. Repeat after me. God never changes. Seasons may change, but God never changes. Technology may change, but God never changes. Ideological and social constructs may change, but God never changes. The occupant of the White House may change, but God never changes. The hair on your head may change, but God never changes. The balance in your bank account may change, but God never changes. Your relationship status may change, but God never changes. The people around you may change, but God never changes. The thoughts in your mind may change, but God never changes. I am the Lord. I do not change. Malachi chapter 3 verse 6. James 1.17, whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God our Father who created all the lights in the heavens. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. With that being said, it is important to note the following, that we do live in a world where influencers, politicians, governmental officials truly believe, driven 
by the real culprit, the enemy of light, that they have the power to wake up in the morning and change what God has already ordained. Oh, as a church that finishes every service with the following declaration, hey, new season, let's do one thing together. We not only believe in change, we demand change. However, the problem in our day and age lies embedded in a global movement of change out of alignment with the word and the will of God. Not all change is of God. What is of God, we embrace. But when there's an attempt, again, driven by spiritual forces, when there's an attempt to change what God has ordained, established, anointed, and appointed, we must rise up and say that change is not of God. And, and we have to just double down on the reality that, that <laughs> there, is some, there is an ideology now, right now, that is out there. It's called deconstructionism. It's out there. It's permeating even churches across America and around the world. There is an idea of tearing everything down. It's an anarchist. It's called chaos, deconstructionism. The attempt is, let's, just, let's bring everything down. There are even right now teachings against the idea that Jesus was a man. There, there's teachings against the, the, the validity of the word of God. We shouldn't be having holy communion according to some. We shouldn't even be gathering in churches anymore according to some. There is a deconstruction of even the Christian faith, an attempt to do away even with institutions that God has ordained. Here's our answer for that. Hebrews 13, 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. How many believe that God never changes? Point number two, change is triggered by the spirit of expectancy. Uh, by the spirit, I'm going to break this down. I'm going I'm to live this out because it's fun. They ran out of wine. Mary, the mother of Jesus, looks at Jesus and tells him, do something. Jesus literally looked at mother and at his mother and said, woman, it's not my time. Let me break this down for you. The response of Jesus is a clear indication that when Mary was demanding from Jesus, what, she, what, what Mary was demanding was not for Jesus to go to the nearest Rayleigh's, Bel Air, Safeway, all the bougie people, Trader Joe's and Whole Foods, or even Walmart or Target and pick up some happy juice. Mary was telling Jesus, watch this, I could prove it. Mary was not telling Jesus, they ran out of wine. Go to the supermarket and get some wine. No. Mary was telling Jesus, they ran out of wine. Go ahead. Do your thing. No, but you missed it. The, the, the problem is that Jesus says, how do we know that's what Mary was saying? Because Jesus' response says, it's not time for me to do my thing. So it wasn't about him picking up wine somewhere. It's Mary looking at Jesus saying, son. Do a little something, something. And Jesus looks at her and says, it's not my time. Ah, oh, you'll go get this in a second. It's not my time to start performing miracles. It's not my time to start showing people my father's glory. It's not my time yet to reveal to everyone around me that I am the son of man, the son of God, the Messiah, the conqueror, the word made flesh. Jesus looks at Mary and tells her it's not my time. What did Mary do next? 
Mary could have easily bailed out and said, all right, it's not your time. We'll wait when it's your time. She did not. Mary, and that's the spirit we're activating today. Mary ignored that moment, the words of Jesus, and told the people around them, get ready. He's about to do something great. Now, did Mary contradict Jesus? It may look like a contradiction. It was actually an affirmation. Stop for a second. You're about to get this. Jesus says, it's not my time. Mary tells the people around, yeah, whatever. Y'all need to get ready. He's about to show glory. Y'all need to get ready. He's going to give you instructions next. Even though he said that it's not his time, I'm telling you, he's about to do something. What in the world would give this woman the authority to look like she's contradicting Jesus? No. This woman is basically saying this for 30 years. I've waited for you to show them what I already know. Y'all going to get this in a second. I'm placing a demand on you. I know who you are. In Luke chapter 1, when the angel came down and said, your name is Mary. Oh, you're going to give birth to Jesus. He is the Messiah, the Son of Man, the Son of God. He will save the world. I know who you are. It's time for the world to finally know who you are. Are you with me right now? She had a spirit of expectancy. She said, I know you say it's not your time, but my spirit of expectancy makes it the time. My demand on your anointing makes it the time. God is looking for a bunch of people that when they tell you it's not your time yet, you say, it may not be my time according to your calendar. It may not be your time according to your agenda, but in the presence of Jesus, it's always my time. If you got this, raise your hand. I don't know if you got this 30 years prior, Luke chapter 1. And if you got this, verse 31, 32, 33, the angel said he would do these great things. For 30 years she waited. For 30 years she sat with the promise. For 30 years she lived with a spirit of expectancy. And in that wedding ceremony, there was a trigger. Mary Mary finally went, yeah, I'm not waiting anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know who you are. I know how I got pregnant with you. I know, I know. I know that I know that I know that I know that I know. It's time for the world to know that you are the Messiah. It's time for the world to know that you are the Son of Man. It's time for the world to know that you are the conqueror. Oh, for 30 years. And, and I love the way she kicks off. The way she kicked off is good. What did Mary do when Jesus said, it's not my time? What did she do? She told who? She told the people. She literally went to those around them and said, get ready. He's about to do something. You know, before he did something, you, you missed it. You, you missed it. She says, I know what you're saying, but I know who you are. I know I'm, I'm placing a demand on your anointing. In other words... I have a choice. I could walk out of this wedding and let the water be there and the wine and no wine, but I'm not. I'm not leaving here until you do. I'm not going anywhere until you show us your glory. Boy, do we ever need some believers to actually 
if there would be a mom who would have that kind of faith and say, I'm not going anywhere till my entire family gets saved. If there would be a dad who would say, I'm not going anywhere till my marriage gets a fresh infusion of the power of God. If there would be a church that would have enough faith to say, I'm not going anywhere till the glory of Jesus shows up in my life. Mary placed a demand. She could have bailed out. She could have said, I'm going to wait for you to be comfortable with your time. Because it's not your time. Let me wait. I don't want to traumatize you. I don't want you to go to therapy. Let me wait for you to be comfortable with your time. She said, nah, y'all need to get ready. She literally went to the people that were there and said, y'all need to get ready. He's about to do something awesome. You want to see your water change into wine? You want to see the brokenness change into a breakthrough? You want to see your hell become a heaven? You, you, you want to see that? You need to begin by having a spirit of expectancy. And then the next thing, you need to warn the people around you. You missed it. You need to start texting some people and telling them, I'm just warning you. In the next week, in the next two weeks, in the next three weeks, you are about to see Jesus do something amazing in my life, in my family, in my circumstance. If that's you, if you have a spirit of expectancy, if you believe God's about to show up and show you his glory, if you're not going anywhere because you're placing a demand on the anointing in which is Jesus. Now open up your mouth and give him the kind of merry praise. Look at your neighbor, tell him, neighbor, I need you to get ready. If you're around me, you're about to see Jesus do his thing. Tell your other neighbor, if you're around me, you're about to see Jesus do his thing. Say it one more time, neighbor, get ready. If you're around me, your eyes will bear witness that Jesus is about to show us his glory. Somebody praise like you believe it in worship. Somebody shout, show me your glory. Say it like you believe it. Show me your glory. I dare you to say, I'm not going anywhere. No, but say it like Mary would say it. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not going anywhere about my breakthrough. I'm not going anywhere about my healing. I'm not going anywhere about my overflow. I'm not going anywhere about my restoration. I'm not going anywhere. Show us your glory. Show us your glory. Mary placed on the man on the anointing upon Jesus. On the anointing that was Jesus, that is Jesus. Christ, the anointed one. In other words, it's not about the time, it's about the need. And when the need becomes desperate, time is no longer the primary motivator. God's timing will never be a lid on his children's needs. On multiple occasions, we see people come up to Jesus. And Jesus told them, like the Lebanese woman who wanted a miracle for her child. And, and Jesus literally told the Lebanese woman, it's not my time for me to do anything with you. And the woman looked at Jesus and said, 
with great due deference, I don't really care if it's not my season. I'm not going anywhere without me grabbing a hold of what only you can offer. I need you to live that kind of faith. I need you to believe. I need you to finally say enough is enough. I'm not going anywhere until I get everything that can come out of you. I'm not going anywhere until I receive the fullness of the impartation that will take us from grace to grace and from glory to glory. So you may not think it's the right time, but I have a spirit of expectation that you're about to show us your glory. Therefore, my spirit of expectation has the power to prompt you to show us your glory. Jeremiah 33, 3, if you call upon me, I will show you what you've never seen before. Raise your right hand, repeat after me. That's me. <laughs> Say, I'm ready for my miracle. Say it like you believe it. I'm ready for my breakthrough. I'm ready for the overflow. I'm ready for God to show us his glory. To tell him I've sat on promises for years. I've been fighting for things. I've been praying for things. I've been fasting for things. I've been through hell for things that I've been praying for. Today, I have that spirit of expectancy. I'm going to get everything that Jesus has for me. I believe it in the name of Jesus. Speak to the people around you and tell them to get ready. Mary did not tell the people around them. There's a possibility that God may show up. Mary did not say, if you guys fast and pray, hopefully God will show up. Mary did not say, I sure wish God will show up. Mary looked at the people around them and said, y'all need to get ready. Jesus is about to do something. I sense the Lord. I sense God. I sense the Lord. I sense the Lord. Everybody's coming out of this now. Now the pandemic becomes an endemic and restrictions are removed for now and all these things. And everybody's going, and all the conversations are, how long would this last? Maybe three months from now, another variant and this, and stealth, melt, wealth, wealth, whatever. All these things, and mass, no, I'm here to, to y'all gotta change the conversation. And I'm gonna tell you what I'm waiting for. I'm gonna tell you, I need y'all to, I need y'all to get ready. Jesus is about to do something amazing. I don't know about you, I may be the only one that believes it, but I believe as for me and my house, we are about to see the glory of the risen Christ like we have never seen before. If you believe that in your family, that in your community, that in your generation, that in your nation, you're about to see Jesus do something amazing Lift up your voice and give him your highest form of praise. Lift up your hands. High five your neighbor. Tell him he's about to do something amazing. Tell him, neighbor, get ready. Jesus is about to save your family. Say, get ready. Jesus is about to heal your wounds. Get ready. Jesus is about to turn things around. Jesus is about to supply your needs and give you more than enough. Jesus is about to change your water into wine. Lift up your hands, stand with me. Jesus is about to give you joy and joy unspeakable. What a dynamic story. As you can tell, I'm hyped about it. 
because he said no. And she said, whatever. I know who you are. It's I know who you are. I've been sitting on this for 30 years. She provoked him. Or did she? Maybe Jesus was waiting for this all along. Maybe Jesus said, it's not my time, Pampa. Maybe Jesus was actually saying, it's not my time until somebody wants it bad enough. That, that should prompt runner aisle three right about there. What if Jesus is saying, it's not my time until somebody demands it with so much faith that it becomes my time. Do you think that Jesus surrendered to his mom? No. Jesus was waiting for somebody to be hungry enough that it would provoke him to show off his glory. Are there any hungry people in the house? Is there anybody hungry enough that you want what God has? All the promises that emerge out of the finished work of Christ are for you and your family. I'm done as you stand with me. Oh, I'm calm down, son. Don't calm down. The third and final point, as you stand, this is a minute here, is he changed my behavior. So you don't have to graduate from Stanford or UC Davis to be fully aware of the following fact. Water is not wine. Repeat after me. Water is not wine. And by the way, after this sermon, I don't want this to happen. I know who you are. You're in this audience. I don't want to be walking around Elk Grove somewhere where I see you drunk with a bottle of wine going past the Sam. I'm celebrating the first miracle of Jesus. That's not. That's not what we're talking about here. It's really spiritual, the first miracle. Oh, no. No, you don't do that. Water can be naturally found in a creek, a stream, a river, the sea, coming down from a mountain, from the snow. So water, and technically speaking, because we are a faith and science church, water is not even an element. Stop saying it's an element. It isn't. It's a chemical substance. An element, one atom, and water has So you can't say, sorry. So, so it's technically a chemical substance, but it's natural. It's natural. It doesn't have to be. It's there. Okay, real simple. This is water. This is wine. And my team is so faithful that when I told them, get me some wine, they got me the, the cheapest possible wine they could possibly find. You want to be good stores. Great team. Absolutely. Okay. So watch this. Two buck, two buck shot. So, this does not require a process. This does. You, you missed it. This does not require a process. This is found everywhere. This requires a process. No process, process. He converted something that does not require a process into something that requires a process. A vineyard, grapes growing, 
take the grapes down, press them, separate the skin from the rest of the grape until the juice comes out. Take that juice, bottle it up. Sometimes you combine it with water. You put it together, fermentation process, all that. It's a process. Jesus converted something that does not require a process into something that requires a process. In other words, I'm not just the God of the process. I am the process. So when somebody tells you, you got to go through A, B, C, D, E, F, and G to get your breakthrough, you need to flip back and say, well, I'm going to be honest. All I got to do is step into Jesus because he's not only the God of the process, he is the, somebody give God praise like you know that he's the process. This is 85% that. Ooh. The process with this, that, is that it, the, the fermentation process kills the bacteria, the germs, does a bunch of stuff. In the time of Jesus, water was dangerous. You would get sick. This was healthier than water. In the time of Jesus, this stuff would keep you living. This stuff would kill you. All right? No filtration process back then. No fluoride. Nothing else. Different world. What am I here to tell you? Jesus could have said, abracadabra, boom, wine. He didn't. He said, give me some jars full of water. Some of you are waiting for your miracle and your breakthrough, and you're saying, God, do it out of nothing. And God says, how about this? Give me what you have, and I'll take care of the rest. No, you missed that. You need to stop the entitlement mentality and look at your neighbor. Tell him, neighbor, give God the water. He will make it into wine. Give him something to work with. Give him your dreams. Give him your heart. Give him your aspirations. Give him your journey. Give him what you've been through. Give him something, something to work with. If you give God what you have, he will change it into one. If God can make wine out of water, he can make heaven out of your hell. If God can make wine out of water, he can make a breakthrough out of your brokenness. If God can make wine out of water, he can create a future out of your past. Oh, boy, oh, boy. Raise your hands. God wants to change your 85% water into 100% wine. You totally missed that. God wants to take what you have, remove the bacteria, the sin, the doubt, the unforgiveness, the unbelief, the hatred, the animus. The jealousy, the anger, the depression, the anxiety, the fear, the confusion, the negative labels, the false definitions, and redeem it with the wine of his spirit. Give God what you have and he will change it. Give God your water and he will make it into wine. Give God your mind and he will renew it. Give God your heart and he will change it. Give God your dreams and he will sanctify them. Get your jars and fill them up with what you have. And I dare you to tell me, you don't know me. There's nothing in me that God can work with. Really? The fact that you went through hell and you still made it means you have resilience. You have fortitude. You have tenacity, perseverance, wherewithal. It means there's something in you. The fact that you are created in his image, Genesis 127. 
the fact that he knit you together in your mother's womb and you were wonderfully and beautifully made. Psalm 139, 14. The fact that he called you and ordained you before you were born. Romans 8, 30. What I'm trying to tell you is no matter how infected with bacteria your life may be, the moment righteous fermentation takes place, the moment the vicarious finished work of Christ comes in contact with your water, Napa will never have anything on you. Because he saves the best for last. If this word was for you, raise your hand. If you're hungry enough that you're not going anywhere until God shows you all of his glory, raise both hands. If you're going to start telling the people around you to get ready because your entire family will be saved. Get ready because you're about to occupy all of God's promises, not just some of them. Raise both hands and a foot. And if you won't be satisfied until you see everything that God has for you, give him the final expression of praise that you've given him this day. Let me pray over you right now. Heavenly Father, you gave me this word, terrific tension, the tension of change. The God of the process is the process. Lord, I ask you right now to saturate, to permeate every single person here and online with this revelation, with this biblical truth. Lord, right now you're changing water into wine. You're changing brokenness into breakthrough. You're changing the tears into joy. You're changing pain into praise. You are making all things beautiful. The God that never changes has the power to change everything. And you're doing it right now in every life in this auditorium, in every life streaming online around the world. The God that never changes has the power to change everything. We have that spirit of expectancy fully activated today. We place a demand on the finished work of Christ in Jesus' name. If you come in agreement with this prayer, for you and your family, say amen, amen, amen. High five your neighbor and tell him he's changing water into wine. Tears into joy. Pain into praise. He's making all things beautiful. Saying, do you realize the Bible says that his mercies 
are new. So there are blessings and mercies and breakthroughs that God created for you. And 99% of them are left unopened. Because people never place a demand on it. Every single day say, I'm not going to sleep today till I get what you place for me today in the name of Jesus. Listen carefully, let me, let me, don't move, please don't move with great due deference. I love you so much. I need to say something with you out of my heart here. I do this periodically, meaning maybe once or twice a year, but I need you to hear me because it matters. It matters. Listen to me carefully. I'm in, I'm in Hawaii with, with, with Pastor Ava, and that, that's where we go and we have a little relaxation time and, and in there, I'm, I'm, that's where God gave me this message I'm, I'm, I'm hearing from heaven and I'm writing down my devotionals and the Spirit of God is speaking to me and that's how this message came along and I want you to hear me here this church right now, we're coming out of this, this pandemic this, this church has been blessed by God during the pandemic God has blessed us indeed in such a supernatural way, I'm eternally grateful for His grace and His glory the, we, we have a campus here and a campus in Los Angeles we, we need to have five campuses by 2025. What's, what do you mean we have to have? We've received so much viable, biblically substantiated, prophetic, not pathetic, impartation regarding that reality. As a matter of fact, 12 campuses by 2030. This church right now is approximately 3,000 strong. We need to have 300 small groups. We call them drive groups. Pastor Joseph sees that. By the end of this year, with 300 volunteers. But stop. I was in Hawaii just hearing from God. All of our campuses need to be that. So all of our campuses need to be running 3,000 strong with 300 small groups, 300 volunteers. And we're going to have five campuses. We're training spiritual sons and daughters now to open up more campuses. We're going to have a campus in the city of San Francisco. In the name of Jesus by 2025. I am not going to let go of that, of what God gave me about San Francisco will be saved. San Francisco will be a hub of revival. San Francisco will be a center of renewal. Some of you don't even know, in the 1920s and 30s, the largest church in America was in San Francisco, California. People would come from all over the world to experience the presence of Jesus. I am prophesying that the city of San Francisco will see the glory of Jesus once again. How many believe that with me?